This is an energy sport podcast. Insightful, in-depth and entertaining sports content from Napier to you. This is the Football Roundup, energy sport's longest running football show. Each week our team of football writers and podcasters deliver their views on the weekend's action from Scotland, England and the wider world of football. With our panel bringing knowledge, insight and passion, you can be rest assured of quality from each episode of the Football Roundup. Hello and welcome back to the Football Roundup. My name is Jack Donnelly and as the intro said, this is Energy Sport's longest running football show with our panel bringing knowledge, insight and passion as we take a look at the weekend's action from Scotland, England and the wider footballing world. As always, I am joined by some of Napier's best and brightest, starting with the man of many clubs, Struan Garvey. How are you mate? What's the, what's the weather like in Stirlingshire today? It is beautiful. Is it? it is sunny. There wasn't a cloud in the sky at one point today, but um, it's a Monday, so it doesn't it doesn't feel. Do you know? It's going to sound silly, but do you know when you want the right days of the week to have good weather? You want you want a Friday to be a nice day, a Saturday to be a nice day, not not a Monday. You, yeah. you don't want to waste a waste a good day, a good weather day on a Monday. Just been sat in my room on my laptop, staring out the window at the sun. It's it's not the same, but it is nice. It's it's still very blue skies at the moment. I'm glad to hear. Are you, are you out, out running later or out running at all today? How have you been? No, I've I've not been out today. I've taken a rest. Uh, my left leg was a bit bit playing up yesterday, so I've, t- I've taken the day off today. <sighs> Always good to have a day off on a Monday, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, we're also joined by the most lethal left foot in uh, West Edinburgh. We are joined by Mr Jamie McIntosh. How are you, mate? Yes, very good, thank you. Yes, I was going to say, uh, I was going to say East because I thought you were going to say through the west but then you said Edinburgh so that was alright because I was going to say it was the east but obviously it, I know what you meant anyway uh, yes it's a scorching day in the capital it's El Scorchio in El Capital so uh, do you know yes. Spanish? no but that was a, that was a famous uh, thing off social media I think it was somebody had said El Scorchio at El Bicho in uh, Spain or something whatever it was <laughs> I Very think funny. I do remember that actually I know the one you mean <laughs> That was that was a good laugh. I do remember that. Oh, very good. I'll I'll give you a weather report. Actually, if I can lean back and avoid the creaky chair. There's clouds in the sky. That was a live reveal. Just me rolling up my my blind for the first time today because I'm a sad sad man. There's clouds in the sky, Trin. It's it's pathetic. Still feels quite warm, but there we go. This is this is a good chat you get in the football roundup trips. Like you just get. Four guys talking about the weather. The four races on. Races on air today, Jack. Are they? Yeah, air races today. I was watching some earlier on the television. I was having my rolls at lunch. <laughs> we we've spoken at length about doing the gold carpet air, haven't we? Like, it would be a one, fantastic one day out. Nice summer. Well, I think it's about September actually. It's September so, time. Uh, yeah. I I, I yeah. think if they if they're back on properly this year, I, I say we go. A good day out. Anyway, uh, finally, the last last name in this podcast is Livingston's most lethal, most lethal left foot and Energy's resident quizmaster, Mr. Graham Sinclair. How are you, mate? Hi, Jack. <laughs> Don't sound very happy, mate. I'm doing fine. Doing fine? Just a bit bored. Just want to get on with it. We'll get on with it then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as always, we start our show off with the big question, which uh, three of us actually discussed ahead of Friday's episode of the Fantasy Ramble. I think we were off air at the time, but we definitely discussed manager attire after considering whether David Martindale would don his trademark tracksuit at, su- at Sunday's Betfred Cup final. So that got us thinking, uh, if you were a football manager, 
what sort of attire, what sort of style would you go for? Struan Garvey, I want to hear your get-up as a manager if you were to get into football management. My get-up? I think I think I'd be a suit and tie, for the, for the most part, a suit and tie. Maybe the, the suit jacket would come off occasionally. I think that would always be the case for a home game. But I think for away, I'd maybe wear an away game. I'd maybe wear a tracksuit. I don't know. I just I, th- I think it maybe changed. But for for the majority, I would be a uh, a shirt and tie. So I used to have this conversation with my granddad, my brother. My granddad used to always make the point that you've got to look your best year. It's a privilege to represent whatever club he was always talking about Rangers at the time. But he was always saying it would be be a privilege to represent the club, and you should look your best for it. And I and I do sort of have that viewpoint with it. I don't I don't mind that. So tracky away though. I think I think tracky away. I don't know why, but I always just feel when you're travelling, you're going somewhere. Got a bit more comfort, day, don't you? Yeah, it is a sport, but I guess you could always you could always be smart casual. Just have the shirt. No, you could be unbuttoned, perhaps. Oh, oh geez, oh, strange. Sleeves yourself. rolled up and everything. Yeah, <laughs> sleeves rolled up and everything. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh-huh, I can't can't argue with that. Graham, how about yourself? How what would you go for? I reckon I'd be a. a... Uh, sh- shirt, jacket, and no tie, and then the summer the jacket would come off. It just be just just be a shirt. I'm with you. Yeah, uh-huh. I like I like that. It's no bit, no bit, no tracky whatsoever. In my head, I'm Steve Bruce. <laughs> I don't know whether you'd want to be Steve Bruce to be honest. I, I still want to be Steve Bruce. I mean, I can imagine myself saying, "How's the bacon?" Or how to bacon you say? Yeah, no, yeah, I'll give you that. To be fair, so I would go for like I'd go for. <laughs> My how's your what's your look today? Like the Golden Globes topical. Uh, they ask like what what are you wearing today? I'm wearing, I'm wearing a Steve Bruce. A Brucey ensemble. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I do like it. Jamie, how about yourself? Because there was a bit of kind of unanimous agreement from us on on Friday that you would be the most tracksuit manager in the history of football. But you you you, you contested that when we brought this to you before we started recording today. Well, you, uh, you you say that you had a bit of discussion on Friday about this, but I wasn't present, so I want to know <laughs> what was said. I want to know how you came to this agreement that I would be, uh, this unanimous agreement, should I say, that I would be the most tracksuit manager out of the, the energy sport guys first. You're the most PE teacher of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Does that, does that mean I'm really good looking? Yeah, you, if, you, if that's what you take away from it, Jamie, then I mean, <laughs> where have you got that from? Did you have good looking PE teachers? I, well, I think so. I think that's kind of uh, did all the girls not have crushes on the PE teachers? You don't have a crush on a maths teacher, do you? It's always the PE guys, the, the fit guys, you know? No? I crush on my French teacher. Yeah, Fred, there was a French teacher for me. There were a set of twins in the English department at my school that. Seem to kind of kick up a storm, but and, and, no, no matter what it was. Uh, <laughs> so, what, what would your what would your clothing be, Jamie? Um, I, I think yeah, for comfort, possibly a tracksuit guy. Um, depends on the weather, mind you. You know, summer. I, I wouldn't see myself kicking about in a tracksuit in the summer. I think I would get the shorts on in summer. But I think for a laugh, I would quite like to turn up with. Uh, with some some clobber on, you know, just as a bit of a laugh, maybe act like a fan, get one of those <laughs> daft, daft jackets, daft jackets with the goggles on them, and that. I think that would be quite funny. You never see that. I think that would be pretty funny. Stick my Stone Island on or something, and get the badge in. <laughs> you imagine Zinedine Zidane funny. rocking up to New Camp for the El Clasico, and he just got a stony on and goggles on his hat. <laughs> 
I'd rate that to be honest. See if I was I watching. I think that's a brilliant match, idea to be honest. And I saw you pitching up in full casual gear, your, your gazelles on and all. I, I'd I'd lose the plot, man. That'd be that'd be hilarious. Yeah, it would be. It would cause a storm, a national storm. So I would be all for that. You'd gain a vast appreciation from Dark Fruits Twitter, so you would. Which, oh yeah, true actually. Are you? It depends on whether you're marketing to that audience or, or not. I know. I know you've kind of sworn off the dark fruits. I'm not sure. Now. Dark fruits Twitter is is all all clobber. I think you would get the respect of the old timers as well. True. Yeah, you would. Probably football Twitter would have a day field day with you, but they are a bunch of diddies at the, at the best. I think you would gain a lot of respect probably from the supporters. I think they would love you for that, but uh, certainly the, maybe the hardcore element would. But not sure about the. Uh, the, the the pundits perhaps might get by pundits would probably have a lot to say <laughs> as for me i don't know i quite like the kind of more casual i think if i was gonna wear a, a shirt for anything there'd be no tie it'd probably be a lot like graham's like just a jacket at the more formal occasions and then probably just open shirt otherwise i quite like guardiola sometimes he, he chucks just a hoodie and jeans on for, for cutting about the touchline i think I, I, i'm quite comfortable in that usually so i think that'd be something i'd maybe i'd maybe go for uh I don't know what 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 do what do we see each other? I th- I suppose it kind of opens up the conversation each other and then the rest of energy sport because Graham was it not you that said it, it Canavan is turtleneck written all over just like Amy, a Guardiola turtleneck. Yeah, Amy on a wonderful soccer supernova chat show and on a state of mind has a lovely black turtleneck that she wears and I think Amy would I think that's what she'd wear as a manager too. I could see a it. Tactician. Very true. Yeah. I think Cameron's probably quite tracksuit. I'm not sure I could see many of us in suits, to be honest. I think we would all be quite, uh, be quite tracksuity, to be honest. I don't think you're wrong. I... Do you think? Do you think Sean would try and just pull off a suit just, just to like say he could? Yeah, Sean and Mister Garvey would probably be top two suit candidates for me. Mainly Struan, just because uh, he turned up at the the uni interviews with his suit on. <laughs> no, there's context. <laughs> But I did, I didn't, do, I didn't do that. I forgot that you'd won a, a won a suit for uni interview, Struan. That's that's a nice wee refresher of that. That's just a very very formal man. We'll see, we'll in see. My, in my Glasgow for context, in my Glasgow Cali interview, there was a lot more suits, and I, I was just smart casual, so I thought, right, I wouldn't look out of place at Napier, and it was the total opposite. So I didn't time it very well. I wasn't prepared. Eh, well, I, mean, I got in. You got in. You got. So I mean, who can complain? You were prepared enough, you could say. What do you reckon Taylor would would, would rock up on the on the touchline with? Because I think he'd probably have a set have his own sense of what he would do, but I don't really know if any of us would agree with it. A blue suit jacket with black trousers. Oh. <laughs> but he would have meant to go all black. But he just looked at he looked at the blue thing and thought it was black. <laughs> it was dark, and he just reached for the dark suit jacket in his cupboard and took that out. Anybody have the Julian Nagelsmann? Taylor would wear football boots, but different coloured football boots on each foot. Those Puma ones, like like six years ago, the pink and the yellow. The pink and the blue ones. Yeah. See, the 2014, they were... It was 14 World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think Valentelli had them, because he was was like the face of Puma at the time and stuff like that. I think Taylor would be be full kit. Player manager would be full kit. I've I've got a, a horrible feeling Taylor would suit jacket, suit trousers, and then like pair of Asties or something. Oh, predators, like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, do you know what? I could see that. I could definitely yeah. Taylor, see that. Taylor would be fine because Lauren would dress him and he'd look fine. 
Yeah, no, he'd go to go at the door and, like, shorts, a, a suit jacket, full, like, fit my socks on and shin pads, and then Lauren would just send him back up, get, <laughs> tell him to change. <laughs> Where would that be? Where would that boy be without, without Lauren beside him? Anyway, enough about Taylor's love life. Uh, that's going to wrap up Big Question for this week. We're going to take our weekly look now at the biggest action from up here in Scotland with chewing the football. So let's get this week's Chewing the Football underway. Amongst the Premiership and Championship action, we of course had Sunday's Betfred Cup final play out with St Johnston lifting the trophy with a 1-0 win over Livingston. Unsurprisingly, this is where we're going to start, as St Johnston became the second most successful team in Scotland in the last decade after winning their second trophy, the first League Cup of their club's history. To be honest, <laughs> one thing I took away from it, it was just nice to see a team other than Celtic lift a trophy, and I'd, I'd imagine that's something that we all were quite happy to see. Yeah, absolutely. Aye. Uh Jamie, it was a fantastic result for kind of new manager Calm Davidson, who he was the assistant to Tommy Wright back in 2014 when they won the Scottish Cup. So he must have been absolutely fan. He must have been buzzing just to have got a trophy for his own, I suppose, rather than just kind of assisting one back back in 2014. Yeah, definitely. You know, he's he's come in, and I think a lot of people weren't really sure how Calm Davidson was going to get on. Um, obviously, Tommy Wright had been there for so long. And I think a lot of people, including myself, probably thought they would fall away under Callum Davidson's management. But uh, just because kind of like, obviously, Callum Davidson has learned a lot of as being the assistant of Tommy Wright. And the only other comparison that I can think of is Alex Dyer to Steve Clark. Obviously, Alex Dyer hasn't really worked out, whereas Callum Davidson has. So, um, yeah, you know, fair play to him. He's done very well. And uh, on the day, they were the better team and they thoroughly deserved it. It was a it was a weird kind of outlook for Livingston on the day because kind of going into the game they were the nation's kind of uh, sweethearts I suppose and purely based on the kind of Martindale story and the run that they were on leading up to it but it just seemed as though Martindale got it completely wrong on the day in terms of his tactics. He did, and it's kind of the main thing people are mentioning that I'll mention here too is that he played. Marvin Bartley in what was almost like a left wing back, left left midfielder role to contain Sean Rooney. And well, I know Sean Rooney got the goal, but it was in a set piece. Yeah. Bartley did a decent job containing throughout the game. Sean Rooney's not prime Danny Alves or Trent Alexander-Arnold. You shouldn't have to game plan your whole idea around stopping Sean Rooney. And I feel like Martindale's fallen into the trap that a lot of managers around the globe fall into, which is changing tactics in a final in what I'd say a cautious way just to try or just to try and surprise a team and to try and not lose rather than win I felt although Bartley did a decent job in his own matchup, it cost Levy because they lost the midfield battle in the centre mm-hmm. and it meant they had a lack of pace out wide that could have been filled by someone say Alan Forrest or Gavin Riley so Martindale got it wrong yesterday I'm sure he'd be the first to admit he got it wrong and ultimately it cost his, it was one of the reasons it cost his team the game and I, d- I don't know for me, kind of looking at it as well, obviously Scott Robinson was massive in terms of actually getting Livingston to the final, but kind of playing him up front on his own against three St Johnston centre-backs rather than kind of someone bigger 
and kind of more physical like Jamie Allen Thomas. I don't know. That just didn't make much sense to me. I don't. I don't know if anyone else saw it that way, but. Nah, I I disagree there. Actually, to be honest, I do think that it's a tactic that's kind of um, worked for Livingston on a consistent basis. I think the problem was that Scott Robinson was kind of too isolated than he has been mm. in previous games, like the semi final. And again, it goes back to um, the the kind of the semi final where obviously Scott Robinson got the goal, but I thought throughout the whole game, Livingston were were just a better team that day. They had support further up the pitch. I thought Scott Pittman struggled to get into the game. And again, I think it kind of comes with the fact that Marvin Bartley was in one of the more advanced midfield roles. He's never going to get up and support Scott Robinson like Pittman, Mullen, uh, Craig Sibold. So I, I just think, again, it was probably down to the kind of midfield tactics that um, kind of Scott Robinson maybe didn't have the influence on the game that he maybe had in the semi-final. I still actually thought he had a pretty decent game, to be fair, especially in the first half. I thought he put the St. John's centre-backs under a bit of pressure because he's just a nuisance, you know. He's mm-hmm. just uh, he's just somebody that doesn't go away. And, you know, he is the... Sm- I think the, uh, the terrorist tweeted that, you know, he's the smallest target man um, in, in football. And, you know, he just puts himself about. And uh, But unfortunately, you know, they need to get support up to him. And uh, as I say, I think uh, Scott Pittman in particular... I thought Mullen was okay, especially in the first half again. But Scott Pittman probably struggled to to get into the game and ultimately uh, Robinson was kind of isolated due to that and um, I think that's kind of where the problems for, for Robinson and Livingston as a whole attackingly uh, kind of came from. I think something to come off of that when Jamie says a lack of support is something I mentioned in the group chat yesterday that is that perhaps the size of the Hamden pitch negatively affects Livingston's playstyle and there's lots of long balls particularly from Robin, Robin McCrory where mm-hmm. I thought they would normally go up and get Scott Robinson that were barely crossing the halfway line yesterday and the Hamden pitch is much bigger than the pitch at the Tony Macaroni Arena yeah. so that has a negative effect you have to stretch it further so it's it's more space between Scott Robinson and Scott Pittman who has normally his like furthest, the furthest attacking midfielder mm-hmm. and it is a further way to kick from a centre back and so on and I, I did think it negatively affected them in the semi-final too I mean that was one of Lily's worst performances under Martindale up to that point, and that was during their massive, like, great, great spell. Yeah. They were very lackluster in that game, too. And they haven't had great success at Ibrox or Celtic Park, which is more considerable if they're playing bigger teams. I do think on a bigger pitch, Lily's style of play is suffocated a little bit. It wasn't the only reason they lost the game, but it might have been a contributing factor. Uh, Struan, I just want to talk to you about the man that won... St George in the Cup final, uh, Sean Rooney is header off of each set piece, uh, obviously the only goal of the game and will just be remembered for, for St Johnson fans for years and years and years to come now. Uh, up, kind of leading up until this game there was kind of whispers of him uh, potentially being in contention for a Scotland call up uh, as the bigger squad in March for the World Cup qualifiers draws ever nearer. Uh, a lot of kind of chatter about the Scotland squad has been do we have a right back that's suitable enough? I mean, Stephen O'Donnell at right wing back was never a long term option. It was just kind of a plug the gap and see how he fares, and he did all right uh, in the time that he spent there under Steve Clark. But fans have kind of been looking for a replacement, and names have been circulating. The likes of I've kind of been pushing for Nicky Devlin, uh, and then Sean Rooney's been in contention a lot as well. So, do you think that kind of cup final win and has? kind of performance throughout and kind of in the lead up to the cup win itself do you think that's going to stand him in good stead to potentially have a look in come later this month I think it'll definitely get a lot of popularity though I think it's 
I think if you had to identify one position in the national side that is our weakest, I think it would probably be right back. I don't think it's helped at all by the fact that we've had such great success at left back. But I think another thing that benefits him is it's a back five that we've played with Scotland quite recently. And I think that maybe suit him more with that St. Johnson system, whereas O'Donnell normally plays in a four with Motherwell. But mm-hmm. I guess, you know, come the time the Euros does roll around, it could be totally different. I think I think Steve Clark has his trusted players, and I wouldn't really be surprised if it is O'Donnell who keeps his space. I mean, do, do you think he'd even make the squad? Not not even just start, but just chuck him in the squad and see what if it if it sticks. Maybe I, d- I don't. Have we got any friendlies before the Euros? No, I'm saying for the World Cup qualifiers, like, and it's a bigger oh, squad right. because we've got three games. It means, yeah, it's maybe one of those ones that does deserve the chance. You know, it's having a good season. Obviously, really important. He's done it in a big game type situation. Just throw him in at the deep end, see if he can swim. Situation really. Uh, what, I mean, I don't think there's many others who have really got a great claim, to be honest. I don't think anybody will be that against the decision, in all honesty. It's not like we're keeping, you know, tearing out the squad or something for that. Yeah. Uh, now, what do we see these these two teams? How do we see their kind of seasons ending at this point? I mean, Livingston, they've kind of been a bit more stop-start recently. Like they've not won in a few games now. And St. Johnston have had a few kind of very decent results, including a league win against Livingston as well, a nice 3-0 result for them there so where do we see these two teams being come the end of the season just anyone feel free to chip in here I think Livingston will probably finish fifth or sixth um, I don't think they will push for European football and they've had a couple of damaging results now um, you know, obviously to St Johnson and to Dungeon United in particular and you know Hibs are on very good form Okay, take away that motherwell game, but I just struggle to struggle to see um, Livingston kind of pushing for top four. Um, as for Saint Johnston, um, you know I think they'll be bottom six, but they could probably easily be best of the rest mm-hmm. if you want to put it like that. I think they could probably finish seventh. Um, but I think you know Saint Saint Johnston won't go down. They've never really been in any danger of going down. They've no. never looked like a team that are going to go down this season. And the fact that they've picked up some silverware, I think if they can come seventh, then I think that would be uh, regarded as a as a successful season. If you look at, uh, I think the top four, Hibs, Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, in no particular order, obviously, um, kind of picks itself. You would expect that to be the top four. Yeah. Livingston have obviously had a very good season under David Martindale. And, uh, you know, so have St. Mirren uh, under Jim Goodwin. So I think, you know, I know St. Johnson have been higher in the league previously. But I think if you look at the current top six, um, I think if I think St. Johnson should really be finishing above Dungeon United, to be honest. I think they're a much better team than Dungeon United. So I think if St. Johnson can come seventh, they can look at the teams above them and say, yeah, okay, they've they've all performed quite well. So although we've maybe come in the bottom six this season, um, the, the teams above us have just had very good seasons, such as Livingston and St. Mary. Anyone else want to kind of chime in up? I'm a big fan of, kind of what Jamie said there. I kind of see the same, to be honest. But anyone else can I get any... Different, differing thoughts at all, or just to add on what Jamie said already? No, I think he said that very well. Just Livingston are going to get a tougher round of fixtures after the split. Yeah. So it might be a bit bumpy for them at the end of the season, but they've already achieved beyond the expectations. Lovely stuff. Right, we'll move on to the rest of the biggest action from Scotland, and we'll start at Celtic Park there was a new man in the Celtic dugout or well a familiar face but a new man in the hot seat in the Celtic dugout as John Kennedy took charge 
of his first game as interim manager with an odds and Edward goal, seeing Celtic run out as 1-0 winners against Aberdeen. Another goalless result for uh, Dent McInnes' side, but I kind of did want to touch on just the manager situation with Celtic briefly. Like, do we, what what do we think just kind of going forward? Do we think Celtic are going to look elsewhere and try and bring in a, a bigger name with some some more kind of head coach experience, or do we think that they could potentially play it safe and look to rebuild from within by kind of keeping Kennedy in the position for a more prolonged period of time? Of course, having been the assistant to both Rodgers and Lennon at this point. I think it depends on what your class is a big name. You know, mm. is Eddie Howe a big name? I think that's who they'll go for. I think that would be a very smart appointment. I don't think they will stay with John Kennedy. Um, I think that's very apparent, the fact that Peter Lowell is leaving in the summer. I think there's a massive clear-out um, pending at Celtic Park just now. I think it's just a matter of time. Um, obviously, the I forget his name, the guy for Scottish Rugby is coming in. And uh, obviously, he will... They're hoping for him to try and be a part of appointing the current, the, the new manager that he will be working under. But uh, the Scottish Rugby Union have said that uh, he, he will not be leaving his post to join Celtic before the, the, the kind of date in May or June, whenever it was. Um, so Celtic are... It's kind of like Peter Lawwell is kind of going about appointing the new manager for which he won't be there to work with, which seems a bit weird, which is why I think... The fact that Lennon departed was actually a bit bizarre in many ways. I think uh, they were trying to stall it to the summer and would let the new guy come in and maybe go about appointing a new manager that he would be working with. Uh, but obviously that's that's kind of not happened. So I think they'll go for Eddie Howe and I think it'll be a very smart appointment. Um, I think uh, unless he gets another job prior to the summer, um, I think Eddie Howe will be the, the Celtic manager next season and I think it's a very solid appointment. No, I think I think Eddie Howe just it, it, he's been the kind of fan favourite for for weeks at this point, and he's been the one name that's kind of been constantly linked ever since Celtic have kind of dropped off the cliff earlier in this season. Uh, yeah, to be I, I don't know, just in, in terms of having to save money, almost that kind of Kennedy could seem like an option just purely for the fact that they've posted quite quite stark losses uh, in the last year, as every club will have done as a result of the pandemic, but. I, I suppose think, how would be I, the biggest shout, the best shout for them, I think. I think that's the thing. I think Celtic have saved money. So Neil Lennon was the cheap option. That's what they've done. Right. So they shouldn't be doing that again because, and, you know, obviously when Brendan Rodgers left, there was, you know, Neil Lennon came in to the end of the season, fell over the line, got lucky in that cup final, <laughs> and was given the job straight after the game. And, you know, Celtic fans were celebrating that, uh, what would have been the treble treble. Yep. Um, and then as soon as Lennon got appointed, they were like, oh, shit, because they knew, they knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's the, this whole sleeping at the wheel banner, which uh, I think it was a Green Brigade that uh, put outside Celtic Park. Fans knew this was coming. Um, this this was the cheap option. They were, you know, sleeping at the wheel and stumbling towards 10 in a row, thinking that they would just walk over Rangers again. Rangers have improved and that hasn't happened, but a lot of that is down to... Celtic, uh, the Celtic board being notoriously tight as usual, mm-hmm. and appointing Neil Lennon. Uh, right, enough about uh, Celtic and their managerial uh, concerns. Struan, uh, Hibs lost, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm sad to, sad, sad to reaffirm with you. Uh, what, what did you make? What did you make of Hibs' kind of performance on on uh, Saturday? A two 0 home loss to Motherwell. Uh, 
does that open up the race for a third at all? Obviously, Aberdeen lost itself that we just mentioned, but it, it's not the best result from a Hibs point of view, realistically. No, it wasn't good at all, especially when you look at Motherwell's recent run of form. I think I think Hibs were quite fortunate that Aberdeen didn't pick up a point because they probably could have in that game against Celtic. But I, th- I think Hibs will be looking at this and third place should be theirs at the moment. I really do. But um, I think I think for me personally, what this game highlighted is the fact that in that midfield two, you can't really rely on Jackson Irvin and Joe Newell. You need you need a Gogic in there. You know, you need a holding midfield because it just it just wasn't the same in that midfield without him. Or at least at least somebody to fill in that sort of role. I don't think he can have Newell and Jackson uh, Jackson Irvin there. Mm-hmm. So you would rather just kind of have the balance of just kind of one creative, one kind of destructive, rather than overloading kind of the creative process of it. Yeah, I think at the moment anyway, especially like with the with the new system that's coming and some of the new players, because I think it has been an unchanged lineup for about three games in a row now. I think it is before this. Aye, right enough. Uh... Jamie, you watched Kilmarnock play a 1-1 draw uh, with your favourite team, Dundee United. Uh, <laughs> what did you make of that? Because you said, you said you were keen to talk about Kelly uh, and, and just kind of before we started recording, so I'm happy to let you just kind of have free reign in absence of our Kilmarnock correspondent, Mr Sean McGill. Yeah, and I think that was kind of why I wanted to speak about Kelly was because I, I watched this game. Um, obviously, Sean Sean is is uh, busy in Mister Kosic's class this afternoon, <laughs> so uh, I thought I would kind of take the take the reins and big up Kilmarnock. They played very well for a change, and it's not very often. I'm sure Kelly fans would say that this season. I'm not sure how many times Kilmarnock have been the better team in mm. uh, in a league game this season. Uh, they absolutely outplayed Dungeon United, to be honest. They started the game very well and United broke up the field and scored a kind of deflected goal through it. Adrian Sporla, uh, as I say, it was against the run of play and you know it, it kind of took a deflection and went through someone's legs. So it was just a bit, it was just a bit jammy. But um, to be honest with you, I, I said that it was the unluckiest team against the luckiest team. Uh, yeah. Kilmarnock seemed to create so many bloody chances and just don't have somebody to put the ball in the back of the net. And again, uh, kind of summarised by the fact that it was the centre-back that scored the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Lafferty had a goal disallowed, which, you know, sometimes they get given, sometimes they don't. You know, it was one of those where Seagrest, I think, just about had two hands on it. I think he did. So I think it was the right decision, but it was a tight one to call. And to be honest, I'm not really sure the referee could have been 100% sure about that when he gave it. So sometimes you get the benefit of the doubt, you get the rub of the green, whatever. Kelly just don't seem to be getting that. Um, whereas Dungeon United are, and that's why they're seventh in the league. Yeah. <laughs> it's because they've just been bloody lucky. Um, so look, you know, as for Kilmarnock, they've got a ma- another massive game. Look, they're all going to be massive games yeah, for them between now and the end of the season. It's the same for any team that's kind of in the bottom six fighting for their life. Because I do honestly believe that every team in the bottom six could still go down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because like you play all the teams around you, that's the the brilliance of the split when it's so tight as it is at the moment. Anyway. Um, if you go on a bad run and the split don't pick up enough points, you could easily get sucked into that very, very easily. Um, so look, Kelly go up to Dingwall at the weekend, and you know they need a they need a result because if they lose in Dingwall and you say one point out of the Dungeon United and the Ross County games, you probably do think that that's not enough. No, you needed more. So, but there's there was encouragement. Um, the first goal at least under the Tommy Wright era. Um, it was a corner flicked on and, and Medley scored at the back post. Uh, I thought he was actually at fault for the first goal, so I kind, of made, kind of made amends. Um, 
or made a medley. <laughs> Made amends, and uh, but look again, they they had a few chances. After that, the, the goal was with like twenty five minutes to go or something. I think uh, mm-hmm. had their chances to sneak it, but just couldn't quite. As I say again, just couldn't quite get the rub of the green. And uh, Mark Connery was probably lucky not to be sent off again. Sometimes they're given, sometimes they're not. Yeah. And again, I just it was another decision that just kind of went against Kelly. This uh, this kind of season, so they're probably the luckiest team against the unluckiest team at Rugby Park on Saturday. But my favourite score line, uh, probably not enough for Kelly though. I was gonna say, like I think Sean was definitely desperate for the win coming into it. But I mean, I I, supp- I suppose having watched them on Saturday, do you think that they do have enough in terms of their team to avoid a drop? Their first in twenty eight years. I think it's a you know it's a daft question. Not, not you know, necessarily having a go at you, but you know, I do think that Kelly have certainly played well enough the weekend to pick up three points, and they certainly have kind of players like Lafferty and Kilty, Chris Burke, who can kind of can give you goals on their day, but you know they're not getting results, and you know the reason I say that is a daft a daft question is because I watched Hearts go down last year. Yeah. And you know, this heart squad was still too good to go down. And, you know, I saw absolutely nothing to suggest that this heart squad was too good to go down. They were rubbish. <laughs> they were absolutely rubbish. I was sick of hearing it that this squad was, you know, being uh, described as being good. Because they weren't. They yeah. weren't good. Uh, you can have a good squad on paper, but you know, you need to go out on the pitch and perform. And Kelly haven't done that this season. And, you know, okay, they were much better on Saturday, but they still didn't get three points. You know, United they're gonna stay up this season probably because They've managed to grind out results. Kelly haven't been able to to kind of hang in games and come up with kind of quality when they needed to. Um, but again, you know, as I say, Lafferty hit the bar and they had a goal disallowed, and you know they they were just a bit unlucky. But I do think they, I do think they'll stay up probably. I, I don't really know why though. I don't know who's going to go down because I keep saying, oh, they'll go down, they'll go down, Aye, and then that leaves me leaves me with like Aberdeen, who are the only team left that's going to go down. So I, I have no idea who's going to go down. Absolutely no idea. But I do think Kelly should have enough to stay up. I was encouraged by what I saw from uh, from Kelly. So I, I think they could have enough to stay up if they play like that anyway. Uh, just, like, let's just let's just bring Graham and Struan into that in terms of kind of the, I mean, almost kind of the weekly thoughts of who we think goes down because it kind of does seem to change who's most likely to every week. Obviously, we didn't even see Hamilton play this weekend. Uh Graham Ross County lost uh, away at St Mirren and this was obviously a game that both teams are well the Dundee United and Kelly game sorry was a game that both teams will have wanted to win so I mean have your have your thoughts changed at all at who's goes who's goes down as a result of this weekend or are you very much the same? I don't know to be honest with you. It could be any of the three. I think Aki's look like the best team at the moment. I think they have the best kind of run of form. They look the most like a team in there like they're Finding their feet, the best right now. But I, I, I really don't know. It's too hard, so hard to call. It could be one of the three. Stuart, any thoughts? No, I think it is a bit too hard to call them. I mean, at the moment, it looks like it will be Kelly. But at the same time, you know, in two weeks' time, it'll be a totally different story. Which is good. I like, I like that there's this, there's this happening in the league right now. Because obviously, the title we've known who's going to win the league for about two or three months now. I like that there is still some mystery within the league. 
the split is going to be brilliant. It's going to be yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Uh, it's not often you can kind of say that, and a lot of people do get kind of sick of the split because seventh place. If you come seventh and you know you miss out on the top six by on goal difference or something, say, but you're you know twenty points ahead of you know the bottom two places or that, which can sometimes be the case. You've got fuck all to play for. You know it is, yeah. it is pointless at times, I've, I've, but the I've, fact everyone. The... As I was going to say, I've been in the, the Scottish League to like, mates I've met down south and stuff like, over the years and they've said stuff like, what happens if seventh place is close to winning the title and it does sort of make you think? <laughs> well, if they're, if they're close to winning the title then they just play better earlier in the season. That, that's, that's all we could really advise. But I mean, no, Splat is going to be very, very interesting this year and it's one of the years that we're actually going to be quite happy to see it because I know there's been a lot of talk about reconstruction the past few seasons, but... This one is going to be a good split and we're looking forward to it. Uh, just, Jamie, just to quickly round up because we've been talking about Scottish football for about 25 minutes at this point. Uh, we'll just dip into the Championship quickly. Uh, what's been wrong with Hearts? <laughs> That's th- three games winless. Well, three games three games all draws, granted, but it's three games without a win now and fixtures that you could argue were very winnable for Hearts. Yeah, I mean, Hearts have dropped 15 points now. Um, 39 points they sit on at top of the league. And they have played 18 games. So, you know, 39 out of possible 54. A lot of fans see that as being unacceptable to drop 15 points at this stage in the in the shortened season. Um, you know, it hasn't been good enough. The performances haven't been good enough. Um, there's a lot of pressure growing on, on Robbie Nielsen, despite Hearts' position in the league. Rafe Rovers are 12 points behind Hearts. They've got two games in hand. Um, but, you know, the problem is with the Championship, the reason Hearts are top is because everyone else keeps taking points off each other. You know, Hearts have lost three games now, but and uh, drawn three now, which have been the last three. But prior to these three games, Hearts hadn't drawn a game. So it was just win-loss, win-loss. You know, they've won 12 games. Nobody else has won more than eight. You know, there's been too many kind of drop points for the, the teams around us, which is why we're, we're kind of so far ahead at the top. Um, you know, even at the weekend there, just looking at the results, you saw Dundee drop points, Dunfermline drop points, and Rafe had to come from behind. So, you know, it is uh, it is a crazy league to be fair, but we know that anyway. Uh, as for the the kind of relegation zone, Jack, you your team are kind of suddenly down there all of a sudden and have parted company with manager Mark Kerr. What yeah. do you think of that? To be honest, it's something I kind of had a feeling was going to happen this week. Uh, when I was at air on Saturday, saw the loss to Arbroath, and when I was speaking, the press were speaking to Mark Kerr after the game. He was kind of saying like he was talking about like his only regrets and stuff like that. So that was just a bit of a red flag there, thinking, oh, he 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 might be he might not be in the job for much longer after this. So I don't know. I I I don't know what to think. Obviously, it's not been inspired at all. We've not really been fantastic. A lot, a lot of the time this season, and there's not really been a lot of kind of identity or much of a plan, if I'm being completely honest. So, something had to give, and that was Mark Kerr. So, whoever comes in or whoever takes over has a fair job on their hands of kind of at least securing securing a championship football for next season, because I think that is what we're just kind of having to hope for at the moment is just someone to come in, whoever it is, and. Uh, Get, get championship football secured. Any names that have been flung about? Anybody that kind of takes your fancy, or you just you're not really got a preference? There's no, a lot of names, obviously. That there's are a lot of names at the moment. And experienced yeah. in that, but nobody really kind of jumping out as oh, I would really want him from a neutral's point of view. Anyway, 
not massively, if I'm honest. Like, there's not been uh, anyone too noteworthy, or well, that, maybe that's a bit disrespectful, but no one that's kind of caught my eye. Yeah. And I've thought, yeah, no, he's definitely the man. Yeah, get him uh, to come away. in. Yeah. Uh, to be quite honest, this this was a prediction that kind of my mate was talking to me about because we were talking about it and. That there's already the idea floating about of Michael Moffat becoming a player manager just to save money, and I, I, don't, I don't think that's a great idea whatsoever. I would rather actually get a manager with experience in more, more than anything else. I mean, I think who's the odds on favourite just now? David Hopkin. Uh, he's favourite, but he was it was very big. It was like four to one or something. So it's a very uh, a very kind of wide market. Um, you know, the bookies don't really seem to have a clue on this one. Which is fair enough, you know. David Hopkins, yeah, installed his four to one favorite, but you know, then you've got five, five, six, seven, eight, ten, ten. So they're all quite short, really. Nobody really seems to have a clue. There's not really been any market moves yet, so uh, so we'll see who they who they go for. Anyway, it certainly should be interesting though, because as you say, maybe you do need a just a safe pair of hands, maybe to guide you kind of towards the end of the season, and then you can get fans back. Because obviously, like many other teams in the championship, everybody's kind of struggling for finances. So maybe it's just trying to write the season off and make sure you stay up. Uh, if 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 we if we generally are risking uh, relegation, I say null and void the season. To be honest, uh, just start again in August. Who who cares? Like no no one's no one's really caring about who goes up or who goes down from the championship. Don't, don't anyway. give them any ideas. God, <laughs> the last nothing thing would surprise me. <laughs> uh, that is going to just about wrap up the biggest action from up in Scotland over the past weekend. Now we're going to have to take a look down south at the weekends. Well, I'd call it English entertainment, but it hasn't really been the past weekend. It's been a rubbish weekend of Premier League football, but we're going to talk about it anyway. So English entertainment is our look at the biggest of the action from the weekend in the English Premier League. And before we get into the two or maybe three specifics that we've actually picked out from a pretty boring weekend... I wanted to open up a bit of a conversation about the league this season in general. And it's not exactly been like a top-tier Premier League season, but I mean there have been some big results, some entertaining matches, but we can all agree most of those involve teams outside of the big six, uh, which in theory is good, you would say, but then City are still storming the league regardless without much competition. So what do we think then? Do we think that the quality of the league has dropped overall? Or do we think that the overall quality has been raised through teams like Leicester, Villa and West Ham and that's why some games are a lot kind of harder contested? I think one of the things I would say straight off the bat is I think across Europe at the moment, quality has dropped quite a lot. I think you could see that in the first round of the Champions League. Your teams like Barcelona, Juventus, etc. They just look a shadow of their former selves, you know, going out in a whimper, you know, Barcelona's case, Juventus losing to Porto 2-1. You know, I think a lot of teams at the moment are just not in a great position and I think one of the problems in the Premier League is I think I think a lot of it has been money driven in the sense that obviously that you know the top teams kind of just drive away from the pack sort of not to quote still game or anything like that there but you know some other teams can compete financially and then it's just it's a weird one because I think you could make a point for both that you know the teams have been more competitive this season or perhaps teams have gotten worse I mean you look at Arsenal for example who finished eighth last season but were still good enough to win the, the FA Cup and then there was a point made that even though they were in 11th at the start of this game week against Leicester, they were actually three points better off than they were last season. Mm-hmm. And it's almost at the point now, whereas as much as you might call this rare for Arsenal, it's almost become the normal in the past you know, 18 months for the club, which is crazy given you know we're used to seeing them in the top four minimum 
and you could argue, you know, have Arsenal gotten worse or have the rest of the league gotten better? And I think I think you could make a case for both points in all honesty. Graham, what do you reckon? I mean, you've been put off the Premier League for basically the entire of twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's inarguable, I think, that the quality of the Premier League games themselves have gotten worse. There are so many damp squibs that just fail to impress. Not just Premier's the top games between the big six, which are kind of at the crux of the issue. Yeah. But there are other like it's just across the league there's not many games that I have watched that I think that's a great game. I think too many teams play too similar football and because of the lack of fans maybe because of fatigue and how many games they play it's just it's a caginess to everybody there's just those teams seem to be less willing to take risks this year so I would put I would put a lot of what of the lack of quality down to the the pandemic having said that I don't think that's an excuse for how bad the big games have been because these teams all the English teams that have been in Europe have done well pretty much they are all through apart from Leicester. And even Leicester's game against Lavia Prague last week was a good game. Mm. It's just in the Premier League, they just none of the teams seem to want to actually go out and try and win these games. And it's it, almost like the message is not go for the yeah. win, it's don't lose. And ultimately, it's the big games that matter. They're the ones everyone looks You look forward to the big games between the big teams. And Absolutely. when they disappoint time after time after time, it just completely deflates you. No, 100%. I mean, there's not really been one kind of big six clash that has been coming, I suppose, other than maybe Man City and Liverpool because no, they're the top a, two. I think that's unfair. I think both Liverpool and Spurs games have been very good. They've both been excellent games. Both Liverpool, one in December, Anfield was an excellent game and so was the return leg at Hart Lane. For the most part, to be honest with you, the blames on your two teams on Manu and Chelsea. You are by far the worst teams in the in the. I know. Oh, so, sorry. I, I, I was going to say there's not really been a big six kind of game that I've looked forward to. Right, I'll say. I'll say not not that wasn't good. Like because there have been, obviously the Spurs games. I mean, six uh, one. Uh, the Spurs six one over Man United was really entertaining. But no, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I was meaning. I was meaning more like I've not been as excited for big six clashes as I have been in seasons previous. Well, we transitioned that 6 1 into the game yesterday, the Andrew Chelsea game. It's pretty clear that Oligan Solskjaer is, to me at least, that he's scared from that. And that game has scared him. Because since that game, Man, you have not scored a single goal against uh, one of the big teams. They play so, ca- he's played so cagey in these games. They are just determined not to lose, and it's worked for them. They're second in the league. But you can see the clear. approach that the um, that you can see in the lineup that's now. You know, Eric Baye played in one game, and it was the one against Tottenham. And even though a lot of people do believe, oh yeah, that person think he should be starting, it's always the safe Fred and McTominay in the same back two, just consistently covering that. The only way, man, you're going to get goals in these games is by Bruno, is Bruno creating because they yeah. are they're providing less to high end resources and teams know that now. So Bruno's done nothing in these games. He's been ineffective because teams know he's the only man they really need to care about, and if they sort him out. There's no goals, and that's what's happened. No, and I I do completely agree with your point that it it has kind of been. Chelsea as well. I mean, it's different. It's different to judge now based off of the fact that Tuchel's come in. But then you saw kind of the setup against Tottenham, the setup against Man United, the setup against Atletico Madrid. It's very just control the ball as much as possible. But then there's not really any anyone willing to take that step forward. It's more just oh, let's keep the ball so they can't do anything with it. There's no it's, real sense of keep the ball and push on with it. 
one of the worst parts about it is they all try and play the same way pretty much with the exception of Spurs who play even worse the Spurs sit back <laughs> yeah. all the team every single one of the big teams will try and play the same way which is keep the ball keep the ball maybe make a risky pass eventually but the most important thing is we keep the ball and they don't score that's yeah. what happened in these games and that's what happened yesterday in Stamford Bridge well, and it does—it does make sense to me whatsoever because on paper you would say that any of these clubs have quality, the the, the right quality in their team to get back into a game or win a game comfortably. Uh, if if they do misplace a pass and it goes wrong and it goes against them, but there's just no, they're they're playing with fear when they really shouldn't be, a lot of the time, and I I don't really know what is gonna change that. If I'm honest, and I don't, I don't really know how that's going to improve. I don't know if anyone else has an idea on how it's going to improve, but I think I would describe yesterday's game as a as a top four six pointer, and I, I can only really speak from the Man United point of view because that's that's the team I've been following closely in these games. And there's one of the arguments I saw on Twitter. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I did find it interesting that last season Man United had a really good record against the top six. They beat Man City and Chelsea at home and away in the league. But the way they set up in those games was totally different. You know, you'd often see the back five with Luke Shaw deployed in the back three, and the aim would just be to catch on the counter attack, and it was effective. But a lot of people criticised that for playing almost as a relegation team. You know, and and, and I think this season he's tried to play more with the, the conventional four two three one, which has been the formation he's used more than any in most of these games, and trying to dominate the style just so. No matter who Man United are playing, they're playing the same way, and you can you can see that with Man City, you know, and Liverpool, whoever whoever they play, they're playing the same formation, the same way. They don't necessarily need to tweak too much on too many big occasions because they are such a good team, and I, I think that's what he's aiming for. But we saw earlier on in the season in the Champions League when Man United beat um, PSG two one, it was back to that back five, and it did work. And then the first game against Leipzig, I think it was a diamond for the five 0 and that worked. So it's just sort of been about finding the right formula, and I do believe. I think Graham's spot on with the fact that you look at that team that played yesterday, the only creative player in that is Bruno Fernandes. So you just stick Kante on him and that's that's creativity gone. You know, there's not another, you know, United still don't really have a right winger who's going to create anything like that. There was no Pog, but Van der Beek didn't even come on the pitch. And you just sort of think that that team is relying on, on, on that Calm Hudson-Odoi penalty call. Other than that, you know, there's just, there's just no way through with us. Cavani as well, Martial, they're not really up to much. So I think... I it almost is. It's it's too it's too risky. Like I think I think Ollie be looking at that and thinking Chelsea are still three points behind because the way the way I see top six clashes or just top four whoever whoever it is at the time is mm. you beat them at home and you get a draw at least away. You know oh, you, you want the four, four points, points in those yeah. So a point away from home, you know, even if it's a nil nil, sounds good. But then you have to take into consideration the reverse fixture against Chelsea was also a nil nil, and you're thinking you know in one of those games you could have gone for it potentially taking three points yeah. rather than the two you've got an overall. Yeah, I know we want to play not to move on to the actual, actual games, but the final thing I say is that the, the most annoying thing for me about it is that they look at the the Prem Six table, the big six table that they always think you can make. Liverpool are top, Liverpool are the team that I would say go for these games the most and still try and win them. Out. Mm-hmm. And Liverpool have the best record, so I think it's been proven that if you go for it, you probably got, you probably got a better chance of getting something out of the game. Man, you have went for it at least and they've got the least points. Just go for it. If you go for it, it'll probably stand, stand you in good stead. Aye. Certainly, if Man, you Man, you go for it. And then our team feel like, oh, we can get them in the counter. That's an opportunity for Man U. Man U are best when they can play with space. And if they are letting teams come onto them and then attacking, but attacking in numbers, they'll score goals and they'll win games. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's not rocket Well, I mean, it's not rocket science to us kind of sitting in our and that comfy, comfy, comfy bedrooms and just kind of talk, talking about it. It might, it might be completely different on the actual pitch, but... 
I suppose is that is that why we think we've seen kind of teams like West Ham and Leicester do so well this season is because they can go and kind of play any game without that kind of sense of apprehension, without that kind of sense of oh we need to kind of make sure we don't throw this away because they don't really have any expectation to fill in terms of being a massive side in the division. I think so, definitely in West Ham's case. I don't, I don't think anybody expects anything from them. But I think most of us, so I certainly had them near the relegation zone. And I think they can just play with that freedom and, and just defensively. I think a lot of their players as well are having like really good seasons. And I think they've got, you know, by adding people like Lingard, we've seen it with Antonio this season, they've got players who do have those moments of magic. And against these games where you think what's going to happen, and, and Tottenham's probably the, the perfect example of that, about how... You know, some really good moments right at the start, an Antonio goal and then a Lingard goal, and then they're defensively solid enough to hold on to that, you know, because Tottenham weren't really that good going forward. And it's almost like they took that risk and they've, they've taken the big reward. But then at the same time, you might see West Ham going up against Leeds and West Ham try to attack, and then it just completely backfires on them when they do have that, when they are expected almost. Anyway, I thought, yeah, to be honest, we could kind of debate this for. A, a while as to what's kind of made the made the league so kind of bad to watch because I, I just every week I just can't be bothered talking about the Premier League like there's just so much kind of better kind of football to be watching like I've, I've been I think I think Scottish football's been much more entertaining than English football this season and probably has been for a number of years so it, it's it's been a weird kind of season to kind of lose interest I suppose but it is what it is uh, a couple of uh, a couple of games that they kind of play at the were a bit more kind of on the entertaining side. Uh, Arsenal three, Leicester one. Graham on the ramble, you earmarked it as a kind of game of the weekend. And in a sense, I suppose it, it probably was. And uh, Spurs obviously scored four goals against Burnley, but in terms of the kind of occasion, it, it played out as a as a kind of bigger game. Uh, Graham, you've kind of spoken a lot about. Harvey Barnes and how good he was and how good he has been leading up to this game and he got an injury in this game that kind of seemed to potentially rule him out for the rest of the season how detrimental is that going to be to Leicester when they've all, they've already lost Madison to injury and he's going to be out for a little bit, Vardy's been struggling a bit more and now their other kind of prime creator has kind of gone down and won't be back until the next season It's massive for Leicester I think instantly they are now look, I would say I would Fans them not to finish the top four. They've lost, you said, they've lost two best creators. Also lost James Justin and Wesley Fofana to long term injuries. They've lost both of them for ages. And Vardy still clearly isn't one hundred percent. And now that he's lost, he's the people that create his chances for him. How's he going to get goals? Because he actually had, I think, he had something like, like his lowest touches in a Premier League game for this season, or like perhaps like the past two seasons, he had barely any touches in this game. And. Arsenal played a week inside, there was no Saka or Bellingham and they won this game pretty comfortably. Mm. They went behind and came back, which is something Arsenal have, have found really real resilience with in the last few weeks. But it was com- very, very comfortable for them. They were they very much deserved this win. And Leicester fans are once again be dreading that the same thing happens as last year when they were in the top four and just fell and fell and fell away because the injuries are just too much. No, absolutely, and it, it kind of seems to be happening earlier than it did last season. So it could it could potentially end up being a bit worse than it ended up being last season, where they just missed out in the final day and got Europa League. They might end up with potentially no European football whatsoever, depending on how things go. But I suppose we just need to kind of wait and see on how they manage their next run of games. 
Uh, anyone else have anything else you wanted to mention about uh, Premier League this weekend? I mean, Gareth Bale chucked in a pretty good performance at home to Burnley, didn't he? Two goals and an assist, kind of showing what I think a lot of people, Spurs fans especially, will have expected of him. Coming back to the Premier League, I don't know if... I mean, when he signed, I certainly thought he was going to be better than what he has been. I mean, that only that was his first start at the new stadium and is only his third league start this season overall. So it's been a tough season for Gareth Bale, but are we seeing the best of him now? I think that's, if my stats are right, four goals and three assists across his last four matches. He's, he's, he's fine. He scored two goals against Burnley. Gareth Bale isn't back. That's all. That's that's all I have to. That's that's all I have to say. It's <laughs> nice big, to see Bale doing well. Maybe. Big win for the Baggies as well. Brighton doing Brighton things. Oh. And, oh. Uh, I think that's probably a good a good place to wrap up the Premier League chat. It's talking about Brighton. Good God, how uh, how they can't score. <laughs> I, I, th- I think they deserve to go down. Purely, I think they, I purely think they for the fact that they just are not fulfilling what has been yeah. expected of them. I, th- yeah. I think it was Jamie who made the point in the chat. Like this was this was quite a few months ago now, and he and he said that it was when Hutton was in charge they were almost doing better. Like they're playing better football now, but they were scoring more and doing more under Hutton. And they're I think not the more getting the results. Gone on. Yeah, I think the more they're playing that, nice football, true. but they're not getting results. And you know, I'll go back to the, the sort of point that Jack had kind of made about when we were speaking about Scotland, uh, Scottish football rather. And it was like, do they have enough to stay up? Well, on paper, yes. But they're not scoring goals. They're not getting results. So, no. They probably don't have (laughs) enough to stay up, realistically, when you look at it. Because they're not picking up points. And you need goals and you need points to stay in the Premier League. And Brighton aren't getting it. They've just lost to West Brom. And a terrible defeat to Palace the week before when they had, what, two touches in Brighton's box and they scored both or something. Ludicrous like that. There's a stat. I found a stat that Stroon put in the group chat on Saturday. In the last three games, Brighton have had 65 attempts, Uh, 20 on target with one goal. Yeah, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. But for having such bad shot statistics, you deserve to go down because you can't shoot clearly. Why would you get rid of Glenn Murray? Like I know he's like forty at this point, but he was consistent goals. You know, he like I know Duncan Duffy and uh, Glenn Murray used to be Brighton. You know, you just whip it into him and he'd get a goal. But at the same time, Mopey's not exactly on fire. I don't, I don't think Connolly scores more than about three games a season. Uh, he's Could, he's long term injury, I think, just now. Anyway, that guy Wilbs. Did he get injured? Oh, yeah, the that poor, guy. Oh. <laughs> they missed two two penalty misses as well. Like as crazy as that game was, and as bad as their finishing is, two missed penalties, two different takers as well. And then the disallowed goal with a free kick and all that as well. Part yeah. of me thinks that they're just really unlucky, but at the same time, I just think, are you just shit? <laughs> it's, is it luck or are you just shit? Like genuinely in front, in front of goal, anyway, because like I mean, the defense has been very good and the defense has been highly praised um, for I, kind I of think the. All- because I think all the way back to the game against Man United at the start of the season, which they lost to, and I think Trossard hit the poster, the frame of the goal, about five times. In that yeah, game. and at the time too, it was yeah. just funny, and now you think back to it and you think, yeah, that's been quite common actually with these missed chances. Well, I saw, I saw something ridiculous. I, I think blaming Graham Potter for this is personally ridiculous, and I actually saw people saying that even though Brighton are creating these massive chances from like cutbacks, and they are creating the wrong type of good chances. It's generally something I saw from like the analytics. It's like analytics Twitter. Like, 
create the best thing. No, Neil Mopey's good at snapshots, so let's get snapshots to Neil Mopey. No, Neil Mopey should be able to finish six-yard open goals. You shouldn't have to give him a worse chance to score just because maybe he's better at it. And you should be able to score penalties when you're mm-hmm. given them. You can't blame Graham Potter for that. No. I said earlier in the season that yeah. it's Graham Potter on a kind of sugarly peg. But it's not something that I necessarily agree with. It's just the fact that he's a Premier League manager of a Premier League team that aren't getting results. And that just comes with the, the nature of the job. The fact that they're not getting results means he's automatically under under pressure and under scrutiny. But you know he can't put the ball in the back of the net for them. You know, they're not doing anything wrong. They're playing nice football. They're creating the plenty of chances creating nine times stuff, out of ten. I think it looks better exactly. than anything. Exactly, I yeah. think it just looks bad on the forwards more than anything, to be honest, or whoever the finishing coach at the club is. Yeah, it's what, it's what we've said. Uh, kind of As soon as Potter came in, like he's kind of got the club playing with a bit of identity, which we were, they lacked under uh, Hutton. But, <laughs> again, they were getting goals. And they, they were scoring more regularly and they were getting more results. Well, more results might be a stretch because they were still struggling, but... Still, they were scoring more frequently, and it's for for all the kind of flashy play and the nice passages that we're seeing, they need to be finished off, and they're just not being at the moment. It's worrying. Like, where are they in the league? Fifteenth. Fifteenth. How many points off danger are they? I've already answered, I've already answered my question. Um, uh, three. Uh, three points. I was literally just looking at the table as well. Brighton are 16th on 26 points. Fulham are 18th on 23 points. Oh, get get Brighton gone. Let, let's let's like, see our friends Fulham stay up oh, because we like Fulham. Tell you what, I, I mean, see, see looking at that table. The, the thing I look at that table is Brighton have had five wins and ten losses. Ten losses is less than Arsenal and Leeds, who are miles ahead <laughs> on the table, but they've had 11 draws. Like, yeah. you just wonder, if they had been putting their finishes away, how much better they could be. You know, even um, Everton and Tottenham have both lost eight games. You know, that's only two less. And yet they're, they're Champions League contending, basically, at this point. <laughs> Sheffield United lost 21 games. <laughs> <laughs> out of 26, just out of 26, just... 25, 26. Sheffield United played. have lost 21 games. Turns out Brighton are the most exciting thing about the Premier League this week. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's ever have known that? They even mentioned the absolute bizarre free kick, which have just... Could not wrap my head around. You're, you're going to need to explain this. You might need to explain this one to me. Oh, oh my God. I think Stream is the only one that was watching. Brighton got a free kick and Lee Mason blew his whistle. So Lewis Dunk thought he could shoot and he scored the free kick. Uh-huh. He went to VAR to check whether Lee Mason had blew his whistle again to tell Lewis Dunk to not, not take the free kick. And VAR ruled that Lee Mason, a man... A professional referee had blown his whistle a second time, and the goal didn't stand. Before the ball went over the line, obviously, because mm. the ball they were they were checking to see if the ball had gone over the line by the before, second blow of the whistle. Yeah, because then automatically play has to stop when he blows his whistle, and because the ball had stopped before it went over the line when he blew his whistle for the second time, <laughs> VAR had to rule out the goal because play has to immediately stop. So it was fucking mental, basically. To some did Lee Mason have any clue what was going on? I don't think Lee Mason has any clue going on full stop. <laughs> I think he, he didn't give it and then he suddenly gave it and then it got ruled out and you're just thinking why would you not give it and then choose to give it? Like, uh, oh. I didn't know VAR was for referee whistle sounds. That was a new one for me. That, that's v- got to be, that has to be a new one. I've, I, I don't think we've ever seen VAR used for... There was the, uh, which is what's even more crazy about this is the Southampton Leeds game last a week today I think or, or was it maybe Tuesday? I think it was a Tuesday hadn't gone in that instant either and then this weekend there was basically the exact same thing over the quick free kick 
good point. It's just, yeah, it's Premier just... League's rubbish. Lee Mason is an idiot. Brighton can't score. Uh, big six games are rubbish. And nil nil Thursday. Uh, I think the fact that the VAR and the referees are basically going to be the highlight of this season. I think when you look back on this season, that's what it people can't be a highlight though. That bad. cannot be the highlight of a but season. That's, that's how bad the season is. Is that that is what people will remember this relegation? Season. It won't battle. be Sheffield United were absolutely terrible. It won't be that Man City yeah. stole the league. It'll be oh how bad was VAR that season? How bad was the officiating? That's what this season will probably be remembered. It won't be remembered for oh do you remember that Rooney's bicycle kick against Man City in the derby? Or do you remember Eden Hazard's goal? When Leicester the league, it's going to be yeah. Do you remember that time that penalty got given after it scuffed Eric Dyer in the back of the arm? Well, <laughs> do you remember that time? What that, crazy! <laughs> what crazy that United won a game after full time. <laughs> well, yeah. Do you remember when that penalty went in? Do you not think it would just be about how pish it was? Like so. just so. the actual, it's, just like yeah. everything about it. City won the league, rubbish. but who actually cares? The league was rubbish. <laughs> I yeah. think I think the Champions League will be remembered in a similar fashion for this season, given how many big teams have just kind of sort of gone out with a whimper. Not over here, because because everyone's like, oh, the English teams are doing so well. Yeah, they're, they're beating the big teams. They're getting through. They're getting through to the later stages. So, <sighs> right, let let's move on and go get on last it sound because no one actually wants to speak about the Premier League anymore. <laughs> I, I did quite like talking about Brighton. I thought it's quite, I think it's quite funny. But... I think, that I think that's what we need to do from now like. on. We <laughs> need to pick out the funniest thing that's happened in the Premier League weekend and talk about that more because that makes it a bit more enjoyable. True. That, that that's the that's the awful take. We'll try and find the funny side to Premier League football, and there's probably going to be something. Mike Dean will make a funny face, and then that'll take up twenty minutes of our podcast. Uh, it was pretty underwhelming all week. That's that's we can all honestly. So we'll move on, and we'll discuss the conclusion of the Europa League round of thirty-two, the draw for the round of sixteen, and more of Europe's biggest stories in last ditch challenge. <laughs> And this is Last Ditch Challenge, where we try to catch all of the biggest stories from around the continent before they pass us by. Now, the draw for the round of 16 of the Europa League was made after Thursday's matches concluded the round of 32. Uh, Struan, your club are probably involved in the biggest tie, or the highest profile tie, we could argue, of the round. Host uh, playing AC Milan. How, 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 how are you feeling about that? I mean, I'm I'm very pessimistic, as we all know about this, but I, I just could. I was I was laughing with my dad at the time because I said before I said if Man United don't draw an English team, they'll draw AC Milan. You know, it'd be the hardest one again, having Sociedad in the round prior, and then just as the teams gradually came down in the in the draw, I think there was maybe six of them left, and, and Rangers were there, and United were there, and I was sort of thinking, oh, this this is going to happen here, this is going to happen, and then obviously AC Milan popped out. But it's um, it'll be an interesting game. Obviously, there's been some good clashes in the past. I don't think there's actually been one for quite a few years now the famous couple ones in 2007 good caca goals Rooney goals etc but I think it'll be interesting you know you've got Ibrahimovic's return Diogo Dallo's return or whatever as well if he if he counts but um no. I think it probably is I think it's the tie of the um the Europa League I think it's probably two of the favorites for the competition at this stage so um second place in Italy versus second place in England yeah. hopefully it'll be a good game hopefully it's not like a the big ties we've already mentioned and England, it's a bit more open, a bit more exciting. Uh, Rangers also got their draw after a five-star, five-goal performance at home to Royal Antwerp, winning the tie overall, what's that, 9-4 on aggregate, I think it was, or 9-5, something like that. Uh, Graham, how are you feeling about Slavia Prague? Uh, 
it is a great team. But one of the better draws that Rangers could have got, I think. That's my impression. I'm happy to avoid Man U and AC Milan, but this is not an easy tie. I think it's a complete 50-50. Okay. The Slavia Prague are also undefeated in the Czech League. They're very similar season to Rangers. The, I watched their game against Leicester. Leicester didn't have their best team out, and they and but they didn't have their best team out. Sorry, they didn't have their best team out, but at the same time, Slavia were very impressive and were well worth their away goals victory. So I am optimistic. I think Rangers have a good chance. I think we this is the best Rangers team I can recall seeing in Europe because they actually attack. But I'm not I'm not penciling in who I want for the quarterfinals just yet. Okay, interesting. Uh, Jamie, a couple of other ties that we might want to keep an eye on. Arsenal playing uh, Olympiacos again. We all kind of know how that went the last time. Spurs have got Dynamo Zagreb. Ajax and Young Boys are playing each other. Any other ones you're looking forward to or are you just kind of sticking with, kind of wait and see how Rangers get on? Yeah, I think uh, really looking forward to the Rangers game, definitely. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed watching them in Europe this season. Um, I've just got the draw up in front of me. Obviously, Mould got a very good result in the, the previous round. It'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see how they get on against uh, Granada, I think it is they've got. Um, obviously, Young Boys as well beating Leverkusen. I think that'll be a good, uh, a good tie against Ajax. Uh, but I think Struan's right that AC Milan and Manchester United is the, uh, the, tie, of the tie of the round. Aye, absolutely. Uh Graham, tell us about what happened in Germany this weekend. Does the Rafa Hongestein of this of this podcast you've got your eyes on Deutschland for your kind of weekend entertainment in the in the recent weeks? Well, Jack, last week I called the title race, and guess what? It's still on. It's still on. By the skin of its teeth. Oh. Uh, Bayern won five one against Cologne. I am getting mixed up. Yeah, we beat Cologne five one, uh, and then Leipzig played Gladbach and. Were two 0 down within like thirty minutes. Oh, and I went. Oh nope, title race over. I made it to like a full. Uh, they got back to two two. They were absolutely dominant against Club back at home, and then in the last minute, goal three two. So that's something. As somebody as Sean said, that's something Bayern would do. They would just win this game, mm. and it was a they deserved their win. It was a great performance from Leipzig. They absolutely thoroughly dominated the Champions League side. And for now, Tech Race is still on. Former Crystal Palace uh, misfirer Alexander Sorloff getting the yes. winning goal. That's a mm-hmm. name you didn't think you'd see uh, back was, in Europe anytime yeah, soon. Was, was, uh, Dortmund, uh, I predicted them not to finish in the Champions League places. That's looking less likely because they beat Armenia Bielefeld 3 0 comfortably, and main, mainly because Sancho looks like he's back to his best. And uh, Frankfurt and Leverkusen both lost. Frankfurt lost to uh, Werder Bremen on Friday and Leverkusen lost to Freiburg on Sunday. They are not having a good time of it recently, they Leverkusen. They are really, really struggling. And that was form. both right-backs injured now, Fosu Mensa and um, uh, Jeremy Frimpong as well. Fosu Mensa's yep. got an ACL injury, which is so bad. I mean, he's had horrible injury luck with his career. <laughs> Even though he doesn't yeah. play for Man United anymore, it's quite sad reading that news. Uh, two quick things. Wolfsburg, as you mentioned, Wolfsburg, they are third and looking really good for the Champions League place. Wolfsburg are a bit different. They aren't, it'll be all know, but Germany is fast, counter pressing, attacking football. Wolfsburg are a bit 
more subdued, they're a bit more of your classic and keep the ball, mm. not take massive risks. They had they beat Hertha Berlin who aren't great, but they did lose an XG which just kinda sums up how they are, they are the most exciting team. And finally, not a game that has happened, a game that's happening tonight, it is Germany's old forum, Hamburg versus St. Pauli. It'll be on VT Sport. I'll be watching it and I think it should be a good game. It usually is because Hamburg can see goals for fun. Uh, Bundesliga 2. Does that have any relevance at the kind of top end of the table at all? Uh, Hamburg are top of the league. They were four, Going into the weekend, there were four teams on 42 points. St. Pauli are near the relegation zone, but oh. Hamburg are very much... Hamburg have bottled like, the last three seasons trying to get back up. And Hamburg are probably like, second or third biggest team in the country. Either big. Well, they're probably the third biggest team in Germany, and they just can't get out of the second division. And they play St. Paul, who are their better rivals, and it should be a great game. Well, who, will you be, who will you be rooting for tonight, Graham? Well, I am, of course. I'm a Hamburg fan. <laughs> After, I, how many years in charge was that during lockdown? A nice football manager session where I spent 10 years in charge of Hamburg football club. 10 years and 8 weeks? <laughs> Uh, ten years and eight weeks is definitely a stretch. Uh, definitely more than that. <laughs> it was about four. Oh God! Uh, and now, of course, Hamburg have an affiliation with my own club, Rangers. So mm. I am supporting yeah, Hamburg in this game. Let's no we, surprise we, there. Good one, keep an eye on German. <laughs> I'm not even. No, some someone else can look that up. I'm not yeah, even. Yeah, I was going to say. I'll look that up. My head. <laughs> uh, We'll take a quick look at Italy, uh, where Juventus dropped points again away at Hellas Verona. Struan, just Ronaldo not beating teams like Hellas Verona. What, what, what's, what, is, is that your goat then? Yeah. He scored in that game. He's, he's been carrying them all season. He needs somebody else in that team. He's not exactly carrying them well. They're third. No, it's not the best. I was. I have actually been looking at the Juventus team. You know, whenever I see the lineups, and I do sort of think it's a bad Juventus team to ones we've seen. It's, it's a bit of a fall from grace, I think, at times. And as well, when you look at the coach, you think this is Paolo's first ever season in management, and what a job he's got in his hands. This is Juventus's ten in a row. You know, because we, we we often talk about the Scotland one, but it's it's the same achievement going for Juventus this season, and it's just. It's just not going great at all, and obviously they've had a lot of big money signings in recent years, like with yeah. Matthias Dillett and Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. Uh, Artur came in the summer with that swap deal with Pjanic. It's just been a bit, it's been a bit all over the place with Juventus. They've just not not quite hit it this season. And meanwhile, you know, Inter Milan have slowly and surely been building a fantastic team. I think on paper, Inter Milan have a, have a stronger eleven, and then obviously AC Milan as well are enjoying a really good season. So it's it's nice to see a tighter race in Italy because obviously, as I said, Juventus have been pretty dominant over the last decade yeah and no, I'm just looking at Inter Milan's kind of starting 11 compared to uh, Juventus I would probably give it to them uh, just based on, based on starting 11's alone I mean you've seen Juventus midfields with Marchisio, Pogba and Pirlo and now it's Aaron Ramsey, Adrian Rabiot and Rodrigo Bentancur that's a 30 year old injury prone Aaron Ramsey and uh, Rabiot they- who got rejected uh, by PSG are just shipped out it's one of them where I think it's a similar situation to Barca in that the old guard have just aged and they've not replaced them well at all Yeah. whereas if you look at like a Bayern Munich you know they lost Robin and Ruberi they brought in Gnabry and San- Sané they're absolutely fine you know, I just don't think Juventus have had that in, in a way they genuinely may have just spent too much money on Ronaldo in the sense that how much yeah. it probably cost them and both wages and transfer fee and where they probably should have recruited 
a lot of the positions. I mean, I know, I know, but I think Pogba's the number one target to help that midfield. But again, that's going to be a big that's going pricey to be a chunk of money. purchase when you think you know Chiellini's going to be about forty at that point. You no know, big, big defensive loss. I think <laughs> I saw somebody the other day that made the point that Man City swapped Danilo and Cancelo. There's also money involved. I think Cancelo's like sixty-five million overall. But when you look at that from Juventus, how on earth do you let Cancelo go with Danilo come in as the replacement? Yeah, doesn't make sense. No um, wonder they lost to Porto. Yeah, and AC won again. AC Milan won again, two one away to Roma, which is a big result. Puts Roma out of the Champions League places at the, well, t- replaced by Atalanta, who beat Sampdoria away. So uh, Atalanta making a case for Champions League football next season yet again, which would be really good to see because they've been a nice addition to that competition. Finally, there's there's been a bit of drama in Spain this morning. Uh, the Barcelona headquarters were raided by police and multiple arrests were made, including the club CEO, Barcelona's head of legal and former president, Josep Bartom- Bartomeu. I mean, at yeah. least they won at the weekend <laughs> against Sevilla, I suppose. Messi's still there, still providing the goals. Messi's probably going to be the only one left at the end of it. Mm-hmm. To get through the whole club. And, and Messi's grass, definitely. <laughs> he's like chief witness, Lionel Messi. It was. I saw the. Uh, I saw the. Do you know the Breaking Bad meme of uh, Heisenberg saying, "I won." I won. Yeah. I just I, saw, I that. Just saw that of uh, Lionel Messi with the with the latest news coming out. And I thought that was quite funny. So it was to do with uh, an incident last year in which club officials were. This is from Sky Sports, in which club officials were accused of launching a smear campaign against current and former players who were critical of the club and then President Bartomeu. Uh, Barcelona had denied accusations that it hired and overpaid overpaid the company to make negative comments about its own players and opponents on social media in order to boost the image of senior club officials. So basically they were accused of hiring folk to send slander to Messi and <laughs> Sergio Busquets on social media uh, to protect Bartomeu, which just seems ridiculous and it's sick and so what sense I, I agree with it. it's so funny I'm, <laughs> I mean, all for, I'm all for it it's exactly what a club like Barcelona and their set up would do at the moment just, you look at the state of the, like, the way they've fallen out of the Champions League it's just not going well is it at the moment for Barcelona <laughs> imagine Bartomeu sitting like typing away on his laptop as part of football Twitter <laughs> <laughs> He must have made like a thousand memes of when Mbappé like running away. (laughs) (laughs) Must be uh, there's too many then. Oh, there's so many, and they were all from Bartomeu clearly, and they're going to find that out in the in the the days to come. (laughs) Uh, That is going to be all from us this week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Football Roundup. Do you want uh, a nice thing to finish it on? I go on then. Uh, we are the people in German, which is now becoming a theme. Is wir sind das Volk? Wir sind das Volk. Wir sind das Volk. Wir sind das Volk. <laughs> I'll not be repeating that. That's that'll be plenty of that there. That's the second podcast in a row we're finishing with a bit of German. <laughs> but it was the German Rangers propaganda last. Oh, it week. is now. <laughs> so does that mean when the Hamburg fans are sort of chatting to their mates and that, and they? So if they put a tweet out about Hamburg or Rangers or whatever, they don't end it with WATP. They end it with <laughs> WSDV. It possibly is. That's very, very interesting. 
WSDV. <laughs> yeah, I think they say Nerder or Nerd, it's spelled Nerder HSV, but every time I read it, I hear Murder HSV, and I'm like, oh, okay. It's a bit aggressive there. <laughs> but I think that's what they say. I don't think they have, I don't think they actually say we are the people. That's just a Rangers thing. Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. And a very weird thing at that. And, uh, yes, we, we could definitely agree on that. Uh, in any case, be sure to subscribe to the Energy Sport Podcast feed wherever you get yours and follow us over on Twitter at ENRG Sport to keep up to date with all of our sports content. Thank you very much to Struan, Jamie and Graham for joining me today. Be sure to check out Extra Time and the Fancy Ramble later in the week as well as our monthly quiz, which we're having on Thursday night and Sean McGill is hosting. And has planned it in advance, not on the day. No, that this one is hopefully going to go a lot better <laughs> Kim, do you want to reveal what your dad said about the quiz? No, I do not. That's fine. <laughs> we'll save that for anyone that cares to ask, and we may reveal that information. But until we see you next time, I've been Dad Donnelly. This has been the Football Roundup. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you soon.